Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Uh, my name is Craig. I'm an alcoholic. I want to take care of a little business. I want... Here, are you yelling at me? <laughs> I want to thank Swinim, Swinimish. Swin, I'm terrible. For, please forgive me. I want to thank the tribe, the Sw- Swinamish tribe, for uh, have letting us be here. It's a big deal, and uh, we appreciate you. All right. Well, I got to make sure I'm in the right place. Has anybody uh, ever been arrested in here? Okay. This might work. This might work. What about psych wards? Anybody in the psych ward? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, my name's Craig. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'd like to tell you I'm not nervous. But I am. Anyway, anyway. Okay. There we go. Is that good? All right. All right. Anyway, I'm going to uh, share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, Okay. So I just start off in the beginning, and then we'll go in, and I'll try to get to some recovery stuff for sure. That's a big part of it, obviously. Um, So, uh, man. I just love Alcoholics Anonymous. We got people in here that got a day. So I talked to a guy that just got out of the hospital. Like, you know, we don't come in here in our best in our best form, right? And uh, I was broken when I came in here. I was a I was a mess. I wasn't in good form, and I was out of answers. Um, when I was a kid, I was adopted. When I was adopted, they, they took me home, and I, I had some illness thing happened where I couldn't breathe, so they shook me all the way to the hospital and this and that. And when I came back, there was some damage. And so I, I made a lot of noise at night. And so the doctor said, hey, give them whiskey and a hot bath. So they did that for about three years. And uh, right about that time, well, the doctor said, if it doesn't work, you can have some, you know. <laughs> so then right about four, um, my sister, their, their daughter passed away, Charmaine, and uh, it was real hard on the family. And about this point, they were kind of wishing they didn't adopt. Um, and so it was kind of felt like uh, not real, not, it wasn't a great place to be, you know, it wasn't like welcoming. Uh, right, shortly thereafter, I uh, started having like experiencing sexual abuse through uh, the babysitter and all that. Everybody knows that story. And then uh, I, was t- I was seeing a psychiatrist from like five to seven, and they were giving me a lot of Ritalin and Thorazine and whatever else experimental they had going on at the time. I was an angry kid. I felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't belong, and I felt lost. I didn't know that. I was just freaking angry. 
So when I was a kid, we used to say things like, if you had red hair, the kids would tell you, oh, you were born when your mom was having a period or you're the afterbirth, and they'd make you feel low. And I did, and I got mad. I chased the kid around. We got in a tussle, and he ended up in a coma. After that, I ended up being a ward of the court for 10 years from 8 to 18, and uh, that was interesting. It was a, it was lonely during the holidays. There was a myth that I would go back home when I was better, when I could become what they wanted me to be. Um, they moved out of state. I couldn't do the math. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, thanks for laughing. Uh, <laughs> please laugh. Uh, it's funny now. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, and so, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so I just got moved around. I've been in every institution, uh, boys' home and in in institutions in the state of Washington and all the juvies, um, and it was very violent growing up in those situations. Um, I was on an island for two years, four months, and 16 days, and my first roommate attempted murder, and my second roommate was a bank robber, and my third roommate, 32 counts of attempted murder. And uh, and I had my own things that I was doing where I fit in with that. Um, I didn't do any of that. Um, but I it wasn't great. I was uh, an angry kid, and I just didn't feel like I fit in, and nor did I belong, you know. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. When I was five, my uncle offered me, goes, hey, you want to smoke some weed? And what I heard is, hey, you're part of the family. And so I took a hit, right? And we got along good, but he's the black sheep, so it didn't go very far. <laughs> and so, let's see. I don't know. I started shooting drugs when I was 15. Um, hallucinogenics went younger than that. Every time somebody offered me a drug or a drink, I heard, hey, you belong. You fit. You're okay. So I did a lot of that. <clears throat> and so <laughs> when I was 18... Well, the holidays, I just want to say the holidays, they're not as bad as you think. Um, the, um, when you're, when you're, when there's nowhere to go, they send people from the NFL. So I met some really great NFL players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys are terrible. <laughs> so anyway, when I turned 18, they were like, um, you know, kick rocks. Because once the state's not responsible for you anymore, it's time to go. And I had nowhere to go or no one to care. And so it was a, it was kind of an adventure, and I was comfortable with that. Um 
And uh, so I started like living uh, in abandoned houses and stuff like that. And um, just doing a lot of uh, like ripping off people that sold drugs and uh, whatnot. And uh, I found myself um, having to flee from that area. And I went to Seattle and uh, I got off the bus and it was like, uh, you know, Ninth and Stewart, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm 18. So anyway, I found a shelter. I wouldn't stay there much, but I did stay there the first night. The next night, I was chasing pickups on the corner of Western and Wall at the Millionaire's Club. Some people might know what that is. They're really not millionaires. <laughs> and uh, doing day labor and this and that. But I kept getting loaded. And then, uh, let's see, I shouldn't think. Uh, our sponsor says, don't think, Craig. It's not your friend. Uh <laughs> It's true. So anyway, it got to a point where uh, I wouldn't stay in the shelter because they had these rules that were offensive. <laughs> and so I don't know if anybody knows Seattle very well, but um, there's an alley right next to the store on 2nd and Yesler. I was sleeping in that alley. And... Uh, in the middle of the night, I heard this, hey, come back with my pants, you know? <laughs> and I was like, damn, this is, you know, <laughs> right across the street is DESC, Downtown Emergency Shelter. You have to be a card-holding mental patient through Harborview Psych to get in there. I can go in there anytime I want. <laughs> At this time, um, I'm starting to get abscesses. I'm no longer working, and um, I'm stealing. And if there's any contractors in here, if we would have met then, I would have took something. That's just what I did. I took your stuff, and I sold it so I can do drugs and alcohol. Eventually, I stayed down in that, area, that kind of scene for about seven years. I ripped off a guy, the wrong guy, and um, they wanted to kill me. And uh, they wanted to give me a hot shot. I fleed, and um, I ended up under a bridge up in Everett, Washington, right down the street from the, the shelter. And I'd go in the shelter, and I was looking real good. I was like 137 pounds. I had size 30 pants on, and I had a pair of sweatpants on under them, so I'd be warm. 
It was January, it was 16 degrees, but it's not cold out if you got a lot of heroin, right? I couldn't stop. I didn't even know it was a bad thing. Everybody I knew and grew up with got loaded. You know, it's what we do. You know, I didn't go to high school. There was no guidance counselor. Um, the staff in the group, all those, it was just, it was violent and abusive, you know. Um, some of you guys get, like, uh, reunion letters maybe from your college or your high school. I get class action lawsuits for sexual abuse. <laughs> and that's why I don't go to the mailbox very often. Who needs to read that shit, Right. My idea of being a solid person was what they piped in the television on the, um, you know, the family, like, uh, what's a family? Uh, like, eight is enough, right? Or, you know, one of those family channels people watch, right? And you'd see that, and that's what I thought it was, you know. But the truth was is when families were walking by me on the street, They'd cringe, and they'd go towards their husband, and they'd pull him in. I was scum, and I looked bad. And uh, anyway, let's see. So anyway, went up to Everett, went in there. Uh, there's a chaplain there. His name's Bob Dickey. And uh, He, he said, hey, uh, how you doing, kid? And I said, uh, I'm doing good. And uh, he goes, good. Do you want a sandwich? And I'm like, yeah. And so he said, he told somebody to go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. And we, he, and we went in his office and we prayed and we talked. And, yeah, you know, and I never prayed with anybody or any of that. He goes, you need to go to detox. And I'm like, what? What's that? Why would you do that? And he goes, well, you need help. I'm like, are you sure? And uh, <laughs> and so what happened was is uh, he called the detox van, and they came over. And this was years ago. And uh, they opened up the slider van. And this is where I broke, man. I got in that van, and I started crying. And, Ask, and I started, like, talking to God, right? And, like, he was talking back. And it wasn't, like, the regular voices, right? It was something different. <laughs> and I went there, and we went, did that, and came back. And they have these shelter programs, you know. I did that. And, uh, and then I moved out. One of the... Couples in the church running their pole building out back, and I stayed there for a little while and kind of bounced around. I always wanted to paint, you know, like houses, you know, like all these beams or whatever. I'd walk around homeless with paintbrushes in the bottom of my backpack. Nobody's going to hire me, but I would. And... Uh, um, what were we talking about? The uh, 
the paintbrush. Yeah, anyway, so I was bouncing around a little bit. And then I met Bob's daughter, you know, the chaplain's daughter. That went really well. (laughs) So I moved into Bob's chicken coop. And by the way, I thought that was unique, but I met a guy in Alcoholics Anonymous who's lived in the chicken coop, so... Anyway, uh, just kind of get it moving. Uh, we got married. We had a son, you know, beautiful boy. I was painting. Um, I was kicking. I was doing really well. Um, I bought a house three years in a row, and I walked around thinking I'll never be homeless again. I mean, I was going to leave my kid and a bunch of houses. He was never going to grow up the way I did. His dad was going to show up and be there. That's who I am. Screw those other guys. You know what I'm saying? And so what happened was we kind of got off plan a little. And at the time, and this is no dig on on my ex-wife. She was put in an extraordinary situation that was, uh, it was a lot, you know, dealing with us when we're dry, you know, I was a jerk and I pushed her away and, uh, I wasn't a good husband. Anyway, I, if you would have heard that a few years ago, I'd tell you what she did to me, but my sponsor cleared that up. So I have a clear <laughs> version But nonetheless, she moved into my rental house with my lead guy and my son. And if that doesn't take the air out of your cells, I don't know what will. (laughs) And uh, just so you know, we get along great now. She's a great lady and a great mom. Um, But I I ended up, uh, what, what I didn't lose in the divorce, I put in my arm. And... um, I lost everything, and I ended up being back down on the streets of Seattle again, you know. I knew the ropes, but I was a little older and a little slower, so it wasn't that great. (laughs) I ended up uh, getting kind of sober-ish, you know, and uh, she moved up to Bellingham with my son, And uh, I figured, hey, if I'm going to start over, I'll start, I can start over anywhere, you know. And um, so I went up to Bellingham. I just, like, half-packed smokes, enough gas to get there. And it said Bellingham, next seven exits. And I was like, probably should start picking one. I picked one, found a shelter. And uh, I could see my son once a month for a day visit. I got creamed in court, and I, as I should have been creamed, you know, I wasn't good. Um, but I, deep down inside, I had this drive. I wanted to be a dad to my boy. I wanted to be a man of dignity and respect, right? So I went to the shelter. <laughs> I know, it doesn't sound like a great start. Um, and I ended up 
getting a job and clickety-clack, and then uh, I met this this other night, a really great woman, and we just uh, hit it off, you know. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I popped a screw in the... Uh, in the uh, bar and started acting like I was tough, which you can see I'm not, but I thought I was. And she took me home and told me, if you don't get help, we're done. I'm like codependent. Uh, What's that? Traits, uh, uh, people pleaser codependent and there's something else I can't think why I'm up here but we'll get it later on the way home <laughs> um, we went to NA and I heard a rumor on the smoke deck no relationships for the first year we got married 19 days into recovery <laughs> Save my life. There's nothing like rescue sex for the first six months, right? <laughs> I got sober for a little while and I started going crazy. There, a lot of what they were saying was don't pick up and go to a meeting and don't pick up in between. I needed more than that. Um, like when we were praying, serenity prayer, I knew what that guy was thinking, that I, I didn't know his name, but I knew what he was thinking about me. And so I and went over after him and all that, right? I got a head sickness, you know? And so I ended up going to AA, and in my town, everybody, there's, they mentioned, talk to this guy, Don, you know, talk to Don. And I'm like, Don, who's that? Anyway, I don't know what happened. Oh, I called him, and he said, hey, I'll be at this place. It's a basement church thing off of Henderson or something. Anyway, uh, I went in there. He goes, I'll be the tallest white guy in the room. You can't miss me. <laughs> so I went in there, and I looked for the tallest white guy, and his hands are like shovels, and he's like, hey, let's shake. I said, uh, you know. We became friends, and we um, started doing some work, and, it's, and it went something like this. I would wake up in rage, and he said, you call me every day, no matter what. And so I'd call him, my call time was like seven. So I'd call him, and I'd start screaming in his ear what my ex-wife did to me, what I'm going to do to that guy, and how I'm going to, that guy in the meeting, I'm going to kill him. And that, you know, and there's a lot of big words going on with this and a lot of passion. And this went on three years. Is that right? Is that accurate? At least. Um... And he'd hold the phone down. And then if you met Don, Don, he could talk a dog off a meat truck. And before he was done, he was like, you're going to wash their car. Okay, let's start with your car, okay? And I had the cleanest forerunner in the, in the, in the state. <laughs> anyway, he got me through that. And um, 
we went to meetings. There was a commitment. I had to go to the men's group. Why would you do that? Right? Like, there's no beautiful women. Like, look around. I know who I want to be in a meeting with, and it ain't you, you know, the dude, right? And so, sure enough, we went there, and it was a struggle, man. But I did it, and he told me to, and he's kind of hard to argue with. And and I, I could hear him, you know, like he was... Uh, you know, he was a person of control, like meek. Meek, meaning like he could rip your throat out, but he was more like, hey, I'm glad you brought that up. How do you feel? You, you know what I mean? Like when you overstep? And I knew I was getting grace when I was, you know, he was, and so he would just kind of, hey, you know, and I, and it made sense. I could hear him. So anyway, we did those things, and we got into a men's group. We got into uh, a bunch of stuff, and uh, we just do a lot of stuff. And so, uh, anyway, I started doing well. I started painting again, and you know, living in a room to rent, and room to rent, and bouncing around, going through that second divorce. It's a lot easier the second time, <laughs> you know. The bite's not there, you know. And uh, we got through that together. And then I started thinking, hey, what about my son? Like, I need to be a dad and stop chasing girls. You know what I mean? And I, I don't want to offend any women. Well, how can I say this? Can I say it? I required the bag, the bottle, or the vagina to fucking change the way I felt and cope through life on a daily basis. And I needed your approval. I was a phony. Do you understand? And I, didn't, I looked at women as like a drug. I wasn't very successful in that department, obviously. <laughs> but I got the delusion, so I was cooking. <laughs> Where are we at? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, so trying to be a dad... And so we kind of, um, I got an ex-wife and, you know, I wasn't on her popularity list, you know, and I put myself in the negative there. And um, she was kind of all over the place sometimes, you know, and I wanted my son to have stability, you know, because I've had it now for like 22 days. All of a sudden, everybody <laughs> should have it. And we had brutal phone calls and, um, like, I'd have my kid, and then the cops would come, and then she'd want to take my son. And uh, what I really want you to know is I never wanted my son to feel alone, not good enough, and that he didn't belong. That was, that was what the driving force. And so... It came time to, like, what do I do? I'm dealing with insanity, and I'd call my sponsor all pissed off, and he'd say, hey, <laughs> have you tried being of service to her? And if I ever wanted to hit him in his mouth, it was right then. <laughs> she gets $3,900 a month, two houses, yada, yada. You know, I was flipping my fries. <laughs> but I did. 
And what ended up happening is my son ended up staying with me. I bought a house out in a little, out in the bay somewhere. And uh, I'd drive him into town to go to school, pick him up at three o'clock, two o'clock or whatever, and I'd have like something healthy, like, you know, one of those healthy apple drinks and nuts or some shit. And uh, and it was okay. He got a pass if he made a mess in my car. You know what I'm saying? You didn't, but he did. And uh, and I paid the child support. And I told her, you just do what you do. You know, you're you know you've been through a lot. My my sponsor explained it to me. And I tried to do all that. Well. It came time where um, there was a threat, and she was going to yard him out of the house. And he was all tucked in. He had his own room, his own bathroom. He had a yard, you know, bus stop, friends. And uh, it just crushed me inside. And uh, I was like, I think we got to go to court. And my sponsor said, yeah, if you think so. And so he knows people. And so we ended up getting together with somebody. And uh, I went in there and I talked to him. And I was terrified because if you got my record and you've been to King County over 30 times, you almost went to prison, but for a miracle, straight up. Um, Just everything, right? Like I'm not parental material. And uh, but we're an Alcoholics Anonymous. We got a God, and we got a support group, and I got a sponsor that believes when I don't. And uh, he said, "Well," so I went up there and I met Andy, the lawyer guy, and I came down on this sidewalk and I called my sponsor, and I'm like, "Hey," you know. And uh, he goes, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I got you know the streams are running, and. Uh, I go, well, I don't know, like I'm scared. He goes, yeah, well, when you look back on this, what do you want to see? So I went back in there, and I paid an astronomical amount of money, (laughs) and uh, the lawyer was happy, and we started. I want to step back real quick, okay? In the beginning of all this custody stuff, I did things I never thought I would do. When I would have a visit with my kid, you know that car seat, how you clip it out and you have them in there? I'd walk into the dope house and set them down on the floor and get lost in the bathroom. Like, if you don't know what a piece of shit is, you do now. When I do drugs and alcohol, there's a monster inside of me that only thinks about me. Nobody else matters. Everything I love, I throw away and discard and destroy. 
And like a real alcoholic, I'll feel sorry for myself and marinate in victim sauce. That's funny. You can laugh. And so uh, I just, I share that with you because there's people in this room that have dropped the ball being a parent. Okay? Nobody's perfect. But with sponsorship, a support group, God, I found a way. Okay? I got full custody of my kid at seven and a half years old. Now, you have to understand, um, I got a home across the street from the beach, a boat and a marina a block away, and I really don't have time for AA anymore, and Don really doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you feel me? I'm healed. You can look at, you can look at my bank account, and it will confirm I'm okay now. You can look at my girlfriend and you can see I'm okay now. So yeah, I relapsed. (laughs) (laughs) Just had a beer, right? Down at Catalina, my kids scuba diving. Good looking. My son's good looking, by the way. It looks like Keanu Reeves was the mailman. You know what I mean? <laughs> My wife's blonde, and I'm whatever this is, and he's like tall, dark, and good looking, right? And I'm like, especially in a the scuba suit, that's kind of sexy. <laughs> anyway, he's going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> So what I do is I hide in the bathroom. I abandon my kid. Everything that he got used to, the stable dad, you know, the dad that went to men's groups and had a house full of people and going places and doing cool stuff. Not that guy left. Now it's drug addict Craig, you know, and uh, he's going through his high school years, his toughest years. And I'm, I'm locked up in a bathroom and just doing massive amounts of, and copious amounts of substances. And um, he had to watch all that. You know? So he, he used to think I was a pretty good dad, you know, maybe my dad's doing this, my dad that. Now he's like, my dad's a loser junkie, and I'm leaving the house. Screw you. And you, what, what do you say to that? He's right. Right about that time, I was kind of getting sober. It took me like three years to get a year, but I'm not going to get into all that. But the point is, is... um. Where are we again? Uh, yeah, so, um, okay, so I did a lot of stuff, and then when I came back into the rooms, 
this went on for like three or four years, or I don't really know. I don't, I, whatever. And, but we went to Vegas. It was New Year's Eve, and I had to figure out through UFC fights what, what year it was. Uh, I took my kid down to Metallica concerts, floating down Fremont Street. He got tattooed, and we went, da 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 da. And I was just not a good parent, you know? Um, I bailed on him, I abandoned him. Okay, so losing my mind, I'm, I'm doing a lot of drugs, and I'm talking to people that are not there, and um, I'm very jumpy and skittish, and I find myself coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was, uh, it was a Sunday, and uh, I've been praying for a long time. I was like, hey, God, you know I can't stop, so you better do something. That was my prayer. <laughs> well, we've met. And so one day I woke up and I was awake for like five or six minutes. I hadn't put no, no drugs in my system. I was like, whoa, well, maybe I should just smoke a cigarette and wait a minute. And I don't know, it was like, 30 minutes went by, and I was like, holy smokes, this is the miracle. So I got in my car, and I went down to OPP, went in there, and there was a guy, his name's, I can tell his first name, right? His name's Blake, and he's here tonight, and he's like this big guy. And he stood across the parking lot, and I'm in the middle of my miracle, and he doesn't really know, he doesn't have any idea what's going on. And he, I'm going to swear, because it's what he said. And he looked at me, and I was frail. And he looked at me, and he goes, don't fuck with it. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> I got you. Apologize for the language, but anyway, moving forward. I started going to AA. I was sober all day. All day. How are you going to come back to AA? I know everything. Clearly. <laughs> I come back. I'm going to stay sober all day. I'm going to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And on that coin, it says, be true to thine own self. I'm phony. I'm a fake. I'll, I'll be whatever you want me to be as long as it looks good and you approve of it. So this was a big order for me, but I was desperate. And so the, about a day or two later, I ended up at this other meeting called Southside. It's a 7 a.m. meeting, 45 minutes from my house. So it assured me I'd be sober 45 minutes there. And I walked in. And I was a wreck. They had a talk about calling an ambulance and whatnot. And there's blue-haired casserole queen says, he don't need an ambulance, he needs a hug. <laughs> That's Cheryl, if you know her. She's a sweetie. So I started dating her sponsee right away. wasn't a great move but um it was it was great for me and her and we got silver together 
And um, I had a lot of, I was a wreck. You have to understand, when I was in a room, like I'd get up, go over there and talk to people that were not there, and you'd still be here. And it was just okay, you know. Um, anyway, um, moving forward. I begged my son to stay, to stay a week. He had a place to live. He was moving out. He was like, I'm done with you. And uh, I was like, hey, you want to go to the movie? You know, with your junkie dad not making any sense in public? (laughs) He said, yeah. (laughs) Kids are loyal, man, I'm telling you. We went to this movie, and we're sitting out in the parking lot. And he says, yeah, whatever. I'm still moving out. And you can't blame my kid. When he says something, he does it. Like, he's, there's no, he's a, he's a decision maker. Like, it's just the way he is. He doesn't, anyway. So I'm like, hey, can we just a week or two, you know, and stuff. And he goes, yeah, but I'm moving out. And at this time, when I got sober, I was eight months behind on my mortgage and every other bill that comes in the mailbox, and I was going to lose my house. And so I'm not going to go too far into this, but I had a miraculous amount of work, and um, I got everything squared away. I'm a paint contractor, and I had big contracts, and I did a lot of phone contracts, you know, like from people, whatever. Anyway, it worked out. And uh, I needed my son's help, and we worked together. And, uh, you know, after you put a kid through all that, you can't really tell him what to do at work, no matter how much you know. And so I just let him do stuff and kind of get out of his way. You know, I started getting a little more sober. I started telling him what to do. And, uh, and he let me know. And... Uh, and I'd say, hey, this is how you do this. Make it your own. Do it your own. You know, figure it out what work, how you're going to do that. And uh, we've been getting silver here. Okay, so so anyway, we started. He, he's not like uh, the guards not didn't just come down. It took about a year, but we worked together. We were able to keep the house and everything. And. Uh, What, what, what happened is, is uh, we became two men working together. And we'd take on a challenge, and we'd overcome it. We'd leave it better, and we found it, right? We'd take on a project, you know? And uh, that was bonding, you know? And uh, we started to kind of grow close. He started to trust me. I was still like, you know how we are. We're like emotional weirdos when we get sober, and we're really hard on people. But uh, how much time do I got? Am I about done? 45 minutes. What? 45 minutes. Oh, good, good. So I can wrap up. Okay, good. Uh, got through that, huh? I did this talk. I did this talk every day in my head, and I wish you were there to hear it because it was freaking good. <clears throat> this one, I don't know. I, all I remember is walking up here, and then I don't know. 
So, and a lot of my life has been like that. You know, people get frustrated. I can't remember their knee, their names and whatnot. And, you know, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. Get over yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just know uh, my sponsor went down to my house, my, the people that adopted me, and uh, we went down there to make an amends. And... Uh, He's like, you don't say I'm sorry. Uh, you, ask, you know, you do this and you do that, and you ask him, what else you know, have I done and that I might have left out. And what happened was, is when, back in the day when those guys were hunting me, they got me. And I found out through that they were getting phone calls that I died in Seattle. And they were saying that was diff- it was hard on them. I didn't know. Like, I have no recollection. And they say it happened three times. And it's, it wasn't that Narcon thing. It's that thing where you walk down and find the number. And uh, I just look over the time I was in the courtroom, the time my son was in that room all by himself in that thing, times I've been in the hospital, Those were times God was in the room. Times when I came into the rooms and I didn't have any answers and I had no dignity or no self-respect, but God was in the room, you know? So anyway, my son and I, I just want to say this too real quick. Growing up, I always wanted to have family pictures down the hallway. You know, like back in the 70s and 80s, that was kind of a hip thing to do, you know, right next to the lava lamp. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's me and my son, and I got him pretty well plastered all over the house. But my, my, the rest of my family's on those walls too. People I work with, the 12 steps, their children. Their children are here tonight. I sponsor a kid that he was 14 when he came here. I work with a lot of different guys. And when they come over and we read, sometimes five times a week with different dudes, I don't read very well. I went to third grade. And so, and I'm severely dyslexic. And so um, they read it to me. And I follow and underline. And what I, they're, they're giving me recovery. You feel me? Like in the book, it says, what's it say? Oh, strenuous work with one alcoholic working with another is vital to permanent recovery. No caseworker, state caseworker, no judge, no ex-wife, nobody ever promised permanent recovery. My name's Craig. I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober all day. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.